Well, thank you again, Brian. I appreciate that. So we're in a series we're calling Resilient. And the background for this letter is this. Paul was writing to a young disciple by the name of Timothy who was really, really struggling. He was struggling in a church where the people in that church weren't following his lead. They were making life very difficult for him and he lived in a city where Nero was ratcheting up the persecutions of Christians so life was difficult for Timothy both inside the church and outside the church and Paul is going to say to him today listen Timothy if you want to bear up under this if you want to see this through if you want to if you want resiliency Timothy you're going to have to stay anchored to God's word. I want you to immerse yourself in God's word. I want you to study God's word. I want you to preach God's word. I want you to soak in God's word. Um, And there's a connection here between resiliency and the word of God. And research actually bears this out. We know this to be true. Uh, We know this, that those who engage with the Bible at least four times per week or more, we know that they have stronger marriages, we know that they have healthier habits, we know that they have better self-esteem. We know this from research. This This is irrefutable because the Bible is an anchor in a storm. It actually provides refuge and stability in a storm. Uh, something, a moment in my life that I'll never forget. I was on Pipestem Lake outside of Bluefield, West Virginia, fishing one day with my grandfather when a storm blew in. And that storm blew in, it was unexpected and it blew in very, very quickly. And I could really tell, even as a little guy, that my grandfather was really worried. And so what he did is he managed to find a little cove very nearby, and he took an anchor from that boat, an anchor that looked a lot like this one, and he threw it over a log and reached around behind and then took the line where, you know, it wasn't going to get disassociated from that log. And then he took a tarp And he held me on my seat and put this tarp over. So I don't know for how long, maybe it was 20 minutes, maybe it was 25 minutes, maybe it was 30 minutes, but that's a memory that will be indelibly imprinted on my mind until the day that I die. Being held by my grandfather, tethered to an anchor in the middle of a storm. And that's what God's word is, friends. God's word is an anchor that keeps us grounded and secure, stable in the middle of a storm. And I want to be very, very clear from the beginning. A lot of times I wait to the end of a message to tell you what my goal for that message is. But I'm going to tell you up front that my goal this morning is for you and I to have a renewed passion and commitment to God's word. The miracle is... Our God wrote a book. Our God wrote a book. Now, a couple things to keep in mind when we talk about God's word. Number one, 
When churches or ministries begin to drift from God's word, when they no longer intentionally lead with the scriptures, when churches get more interested in being cute than teaching scripture, listen, that's just a recipe for disaster. My prediction would be that churches like that are just going to go away. But it's the churches who stand on the word of God, who faithfully teach the word of God, and who show their communities that God loves them. Those are the churches that are going to thrive in our world. And I say this all the time, friends, but listen, you don't need to come here to hear what I have to say. If you're just here to hear what I have to say, you may as well pack it up and go home now. Don't do that in this very moment, mind you. But listen, you have to be here for a bigger reason than that. And the bigger reason is what God has to say. God wrote a book. And the voice in this book is the voice of God. And its goal is simply not to just entertain. This is a supernatural book with supernatural origins. And it does supernatural things in ordinary men and women. And I'll tell you this. The devil will do everything he can to keep you from God's word. You want to frighten the enemy. You want to make him angry. There are two things that make the devil tremble. One is when we're on our knees. But the second is when he sees us ingesting and absorbing the truth of God's word. God's truth makes the devil tremble. It has power. Now, listen, at some point in your walk with God, you you have to come to a point in your Christian life where you realize that you're just not going to make it without God's word. And I want you to know that when people say, when people say things like this, when they say, I don't have time to get into God's word, you know, or I'm so busy. Listen, that's simply not true. I mean, we all, we all make time for the things that we want. We all do. And so when people say that, you know, it's not an issue of time. It's one of desire. It's one of interest. In other words, I'm saying you have to want to know God more deeply. You have to want to, uh, to be immersed in Scripture. And, and one of the things that you need to know is that the Bible makes incredible claims for itself. It makes claims that no other book in the history of the world has ever made. It says things about itself that are utterly unique among all the literature of the world. We're going to look at one of those claims right now. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Let's look at what it says. All Scripture, every word, every word in the Old Testament, every word in the New Testament, all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, we're going to come back to that word because we're not using that word in the way that that word's used in our culture. So we're not saying that Paul was inspired to write the books of the New Testament that he wrote because he was sitting on a beach looking at the ocean. That's not what we're saying. He's, he's not just inspired, he's inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God, it's profitable. In other words, it's good for you. 
It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this word inspired is a a unique word to the New Testament, and it literally means all Scripture is God-breathed. It's the breath of God on the pages. And what's so fascinating about this idea of the breath of God is every time the breath of God is mentioned in the Bible, it has to do with life. So in Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God breathed life into man. This is the same idea that's being used here to indicate that in the same way God gave men life through his breath, he sustains men through the book that represents his breath. So that when we're reading it, it literally represents the breath of God on the page. And it also says that it's profitable it's good for you and it's good for you in lots and lots of ways let's look at some of the ways Paul says it's good for you it's good for you in regard to teaching this is why we teach the Bible every single Sunday morning this is why when we gather in small groups through the week we open God's word to be taught by it to take it in Um, And it's profitable for teaching. He says it's profitable for reproof. Now, this is a word we don't use much in our culture. So the idea with reproof is the idea is we're confronting and we're correcting something in us that needs to be corrected. Something that's sinful, something that's broken, something that's misplaced within us and then it's profitable for correction the idea with this word is we're bringing what's out of alignment in our lives into alignment with God's word the truth of God's word what is right and real and best for us so it's profitable for correction and he says for training in righteousness for how to be a man or a woman that always says the right thing, always knows the right thing to do. That's what a righteous man or a woman looks like. And you need to know that part of what righteousness means is the ability to remain under the pressure of something, to be resilient. In other words, a righteous man will almost always be a resilient man because the way we become a righteous man or woman is by enduring the hardships and the trials and the difficulties that come into our lives well. And then he says, so that the man or woman of God would be thoroughly equipped. In fact, in in the CSB, the version we're reading from, he, he uses the word complete, that God's word makes us complete. He's saying, look, Timothy, I've given you uh, God's word. God's word is sufficient for you. 
But I do want to look at another passage that I think, going back to this idea of the Bible being God-breathed, that I think is helpful. I want to, I want to kind of uh, learn together a little bit more what that means. And so this comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Just another amazing uh, claim that the Bible makes for itself. Here's what he says. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, these prophecies came from men who spoke from God as they were born along or carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a fascinating thing. So one time, one day Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit and he says this, he says, hey, just like you don't know, with, you know what makes the wind blow or you can't make the wind go a certain direction, he says that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. And one of the Greek words for spirit is the word pneuma, and it literally means breath. And so what Peter is doing here is he's saying, look, that the, the Holy Spirit, just it's the imagery of like a sailboat. So he's saying, look, these men were born along, they were pushed along by the wind of the Holy Spirit as they wrote. And so here's what that means. This was not divine dictation. What this was, was the Spirit of God using the personalities, the knowledge, and the research of its authors and moving them into the truth of God so that as they were writing God was using their personalities using their their research using their gifts to pen the word of God and it's so it's a beautiful thing it, it, and what I love about it is just like God gives you gifts and honors your personalities he gave these men gifts and honored their personalities as they were uh, writing scripture. And I think that's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, now, in the few moments that we have left, what I want to do is I want to walk you through some incredible metaphors that the Bible uses uh, to refer to itself. And as I, as I show you each of these things, I want to invite you to pray in a certain way anytime that you would open God's word. So the first one over here is a lamp. Now, um, this is from Psalm 119. It says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Now, listen, in a day when there was no electricity, there was no ability in Jesus' day or, or certainly in the psalmist's day to walk over, you know, and turn on a light. In fact, you couldn't survive without, without some form of light. This is why right when we're parents and we're out on a trail or something and our kids want to go in a cave, nobody would ever dream of walking into a cave without a light. Why? Well, because you could get lost or worse yet, you could get injured. I mean, there's a lot of, it's really, really dangerous when you try to walk in darkness without a light. Without a light, a person might wander off the path. They might get lost or worse yet, they might get injured. And so what I'd like to invite you to pray around this imagery when we think about Scripture this morning is, God, guide me. Like, use your word to guide me. Light my path 
illumine the way that I should go. And the idea here is that God will use his word to guide you when you come to a critical crossroad or even in the small decisions of life that you have to make. In fact, I would argue that the way we learn to trust God in the big decisions that we have to make in our life, the reason we do that is because we've learned to trust God for 10 small decisions that we had to make to get to that point. And so the imagery of the Word of God as a lamp, the idea behind that is God's Word guides us at critical crossroads. It helps us make wise decisions when we need them. And that's super important. Now, this next prop is is my very, very favorite one. In fact, I hope they let me take this prop home with me. You know, when I hold this prop, I want to use words like smite and vanquish, you know? But this is a really, really powerful metaphor from God's word. Let's, uh, this is actually from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Let's kind of read what it says together. For the word of God is living, and some versions say active. This one says effective and sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and here's why, because it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So in this case, the Word of God penetrates. So an example of this is in Acts 2. Uh, Peter is preaching uh, to, a, to a crowd of Jews after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. And he's preaching from the Old Testament, trying to prove that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And after his speech, here's what it says. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And so then Peter says, well, what you need to do is you need to give your life to Christ. You need to trust Jesus. You need to repent of crucifying him, and you need to begin to worship him because he's risen. So the prayer here, when we think about the word of God being a sword, is this, God, pierce me penetrate my defensiveness, cut through my pretense, cut out anything in me that is displeasing to you. Listen, when you and I open God's word, it is able to lay open your true motives. It is able to reveal the true condition of your heart and my heart. And it does this because the writer says it's living and efficient. It's active. The living spirit is working through that word in a way that's changing and transforming my life. So when we read God's word, every time you and I open up a Bible, friends, we have to be willing to go under a knife under the knife. We have to be willing to say things. God, like, God, pierce me. Reveal where I need to change. Show me my judgmental attitudes, my gossipy words, my apathy toward your commandments. God, would you do surgery on my heart? And he will, 
Because the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so what I want to do is I just want to tell you a true story that I think illustrates how living and active the Word of God really, really is. So a guy by the name of Donald McCullough wrote a book called The Trivialization of God. And in that book, he writes about a missionary named Julius Hickerson, who was a doctor who felt called by God to serve a native tribe that had never heard the gospel. They'd never heard the name of Jesus in Columbia. Now, uh, People thought Julius was crazy. He was, a, he was a, a, a prestigious doctor. He was well respected. He was making a very, very good living. But he went anyway. And uh, he was there for many, many years and really didn't see very much in the way of visible results. And then he was tragically killed in a plane crash. And in the wreckage... The Colombians, the natives of this tribe, found a well-marked Bible that was in their language, and they began to read it. And they began to tell others what they were reading, and people started to believe in Jesus, and churches got planted. Well, the denomination that had sent this doctor, Julius Hickerson, was unaware of what had happened, unaware of his Bible being found, unaware of people placing their faith and trust in Christ. So they sent another missionary out years later. And this missionary, when he arrived, he found that there were thriving churches in this community that had already been fully evangelized. And so when he asked how this had happened, the Colombians showed this missionary a Bible, and inside the cover, there was a name in this Bible, and the name was Julius Hickerson. There is no other book, friends, that can do what this book does. For the Bible was written, it's living and active, because God wrote a book, and it's a supernatural book. And we have to cling to it. We have to be willing to allow it, allow it to pierce us and penetrate our hearts. Well, there's another analogy I want to get to. So another metaphor the scripture uses is uh, this one, is the idea of bread. Now, um, in fact, when G- Jesus kind of talked about this when he was in the desert and he was being tempted by the devil, and all three times that the devil tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus quoted scripture to him. And then at the end of that, Jesus said these amazing words. He said, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is so amazing because what Jesus is, is telling us here is that uh, just what bread is to the body, the word of God is to your soul. In the same way that bread nourishes you and keeps you alive, the Bible nourishes you, it feeds you, and keeps your soul alive. And you need to know that in Jesus' day, bread was so important. It was far more important than, than just, you know, a sandwich. 
Listen, if you didn't have bread in Jesus' day, it meant the difference between uh, maybe just hunger and starvation. So bread was what people ate so they could go to bed with a full stomach so they could sleep at night and not have hunger pains. Bread was what did that. It was so vital for the nourishment. It was so vital, uh, you know, in feeding people. If there wasn't bread, people weren't getting fed. And to be fed by the scriptures, this is something that is so important. And it's far more important than just receiving. Listen, when we open God's word in the same way that I might open a piece of bread, right? When we begin to eat from God's word in the way that I might eat from this bread, and I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to take a bite. And I'm going to probably need a glass of milk to get this down, right? In the same way, it's important for us to open God's word, to break bread, and to even do that together because what that's getting to is that we don't just open God's word, friend, for information. We open God's word for transformation. This is why Jesus likens it to bread. In the same way that bread helped young men and women grow up to be strong, in the same way the word of God, when we feast on it, when we take in that nourishment, it helps us to grow up to be strong like our Jesus because we're being nourished by him and in his word. Oh, I do? Oh, sure. So the prayer here is, God, feed me, nourish me in your word as I open up your word. Feed me in that, nourish me, right? Nourish and sustain my soul. And then I have one more, and this is so fascinating to me. This is actually body wash. In my day, we didn't have body wash. We just had bars of soap, right? But this represents cleansing, right? And I love that this particular body wash is called Captain. So this is like manly and masculine, right? This body wash has authority, right? Yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, now we use body wash for cleansing, and the, the, the verse that this metaphor comes from is found in Ephesians chapter 5, and the idea is that just as we have bodies that need to be washed and cleansed, we also have souls and minds that need to be cleansed, exactly in the same way that our bodies do. And here's where we get this analogy, it's Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. How did the church become, become holy? Because Jesus was cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word. Now, the idea that's going on here is that every one of us in this room, you and me, we have minds that need to be renewed. We have minds that need to be cleansed. And just as our bodies can accumulate dirt, so can our minds. Just as our bodies can begin to stink, 
So can our minds, unless our minds are being regularly washed by the water of the word. So in other words, the idea is this, that our minds, yours and mine, are almost always cluttered with false beliefs, bad attitudes, deadly feelings, twisted intentions, and misguided perceptions. All of us. The truth about me and the truth about each of you is that we all have minds that need to be continually washed and renewed because junk starts to collect there if we don't. We have minds that need to be challenged and cleansed. So let me give you a couple of ways this just looks at me. And these are just going to be a little bit dirty. I'm not going to tell you the really dirty stuff, right? So I go into a convenience store and there's a line of people. And I'm in a hurry. And I look at a clerk who's looking at her watch, right? And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, why can't they hire somebody who's more into their job? Why can't she just work a little bit faster, right? I I mean, I just want to get my money and go, you know? Or even worse than that, like, so I get in that line, and she's going really slow. So then I start comparing to the line next. You, You guys probably don't do this. But, like, I combine with the line that's next to me. And if that line wins, I'm, like, ticked. I'm like, man, I should have gotten in that line. I just wasted like 30 seconds. But see, I have these unkind thoughts, right, toward these, toward these people. I, kinda, I get into this mode where I start to think, hey, these people are, are, here, are all here to serve me and to make my life better. Because, I mean, you guys probably aren't the center of your worlds, but sometimes I can actually become the center of my world. Think that everybody around me is there for me and to serve me. I have a mind that needs to be renewed or maybe you know so this is a thought I've had many many times so I'll be studying my Bible in the morning I'll, I'll have a good insight from the Bible and I'll think to myself hey I'm going to meet with so and so at 11 I can talk to them about this insight I just had in the Bible and they're going to think I'm like really spiritual and awesome right so see again I kind of undo you know what God's teaching me um, you know, yeah, and to be ironic, you know, that's probably a text on humility, right? Maybe I serve my wife. I do something nice for her, but then I begin to expect that because I did something nice for her, you know, she should do something nice for me, and I take that, and I make it an expectation. Well, that's not really serving my wife, is it? No, that's serving me. Listen, friends, those are just a few, those are just a little bit dirty thoughts that I sometimes have. And I have thoughts that are a lot darker than those. But here's the deal. Those thoughts equip me and they equip you for bad works. They make bad feelings and bad behaviors absolutely inevitable. This is why I get so frustrated with self-help literature. You know, this idea that just through sheer willpower, you can choose the attitude that you want to have. No, you can't. You need the renewing, living, active, efficient power of God's word flushing out your mind and all those junk attitudes that want to form and develop there. So I come to the scriptures and I say, Jesus, 
will you cleanse my mind? Will you cleanse my heart? Will you root out false beliefs, stinking thinking, anything in there that would be displeasing to you? I mean, what, what would it look like, friends, if we went through a day and we had minds that were completely cleansed? That meant, would mean that we would always know the right thing to say, the right thing to do. We would never lack for anything. I mean, what would it be like to wake up every morning with a mind that was cleansed of all the garbage that's weighing you down? Imagine waking up every single day and your first thought to meet that day is, God, I've got a great big God and nothing can separate me from his love. I don't, there's nothing I have to do alone today. There's nothing I have to do today outside of his love and care and protection or grace or mercy. Nothing. Friends, that's the power that God's word has. Imagine if you're a man that when you look at any woman who is not your wife, that you would look at her as if she were your sister or your daughter. Well, that's what it would be like to have a mind that's been washed by the water of the Word. This is why we devote ourselves to the Word. And you just need to know, if I was not in God's Word, uh, as, as your pastor, you wouldn't like me. I don't like myself when I'm not in God's words. My default mode and your default mode is toward things like self-centeredness, anxiety, small and petty thoughts, greedy thoughts. So God, would you cleanse my mind? Would you root out anything in there that's not noble or courageous or true? And that's when men and women start to be transformed in those moments. See, because the goal of scripture is not just getting more information. I said it earlier, it's transformation. And this is so important that this is why we've made this a core value for our church. And I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to see this the way we articulate it. This is so important because here's what we say. We say we will stay centered on God's word. In other words, we're not going to veer to the left. We're not going to veer to the right. We're going to stay centered on God's word. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to hold it above us as our authority. And here's what that means. It means that I have no business standing up here and opening God's word and teaching God's word if I'm not living under the authority of God's word. Living under the authority of God's word is what he equips and prepares me to teach God's word with power and conviction. So I'm going to hold it above me. I'm not going to say one thing and then do another. And as I'm holding it above me, I'm going to help everyone understand the Bible and apply it. And, and here's why that's so important. It's not enough to just understand the Bible. See, this is why in the book of James, James says it this way, he says that if, if somebody hears a good message and they walk out like inspired in the way that we think of being inspired when we hear a good message, that they walk away deceived. Do you know why? Because they think that just because they heard a powerful message that they're somehow better people for it. 
and they're not. You don't become a better person until you actually apply the Bible to your life. Application is what makes you and I better people. Not just information, but application. Right? And this is why every single Sunday we start here, we open this in every single small group, every single devotional, because the power of Scripture comes alive, not when we hear it, but when we apply it. Now one day, a man named Jesus came into this world, and he loved this book, well, he loved the Old Testament portion of this book. The first time we see him as a little boy, he's at the temple and he's teaching from this book. The first time we see him as an adult, he's being led by the Spirit into, into the wilderness. Satan tempts him three times and three times Jesus quotes from this book. He's just so immersed in it. The next time we see him, he's beginning his ministry. He's going into the local synagogue, and again, he quotes from the book. The last day of his life, he's hanging on a cross. He's going through the kind of torture of mind and body and soul that we can only imagine, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what he's doing? He's quoting from this book. That's Psalm 22. He's quoting from this book with some of his very, very last words. Because Jesus had a mind that was saturated with Scripture. And you and I, friends, are meant. No, we're not just meant. We need to have that same kind of mind. We need to have minds that are saturated with Scripture. So let me just real practically walk you through uh, what you're going to need to do that. What, what you're going to need is you're going to need, first of all, a time. Look, if you don't set a time every day to do this, something else will always seem or feel more important. So you need a time. Secondly, you need a place, a room, a chair, a location in your home where you go to wrestle with God. You need a time, you need a place, and you need a plan. Listen, if you're kind of new to the Christian life, I'd encourage you to maybe start reading the book of John and read it over and over again for 30 days. Once you get to the end, then go back and read it at the very beginning and just do that for 30 days. If you're a little further along in your walk, I'd encourage you to start with the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. So maybe you read a chapter every day, and that means you will have read through Ephesians five times in just a month. But you're going to need a time, you're going to need a place, and you're going to need a plan, a plan. One of the benefits that we give you, totally free, uh, they can help you with this at the uh, connections bar, is, uh, you know, we, 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 are, we partner with Right Now Media. Anybody in our church can access Right Now Media um, for absolutely free. Not, if you don't know what Right Now Media is, it's like Netflix for followers of Jesus. So, like, there's all these uh, Bible studies and, and fantastic teachers of God's Word that are on there who can help you start to plan as you move your way 
through Scripture. So as we close, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Will you take this book more seriously? Will you make room for it, more room for it in your life than you've been making? And if you do, this will literally begin to change your life, to change the way that you think, to change what you think about. It will begin to change you because it is living and it is active and it is supernatural and it is powerful. So will you make that room? Let me just pray for you, me, and for us together. Hey, God, I just pray for the men and women in this place and any who may be watching from home. I pray that more and more in them, of, of them would live anchored to your word. I pray that they would find refuge and safety in your word to endure whatever storm they may be facing. I pray that you would light their way with your word. I pray that you would nourish their souls with your word. I pray that you would cleanse their minds with your word. I pray that you would pierce our hearts with your word and that you would cut out anything in us that is displeasing to you. And I ask that in the mighty name of our Jesus. Amen.